Welcome to episode four in the breakout sessions from the sister cast, Marketing for the Romance Author, Marketing for Genre Fiction. I am Zoe York. And I am Amanda Young. And in this episode, we're finally getting to the front list, the question of what should you write next? In the first three episodes, we talked a lot about what you have already written, your backlist, your ideas, your catalog, your brand. Now we're going to talk about what you should do next. Um, And I have a bit of an overview here just to make sure that we're all on the same page about marketing a genre fiction series. Um, We all write books to find readers. I hope that everybody listening to this would agree and be nodding right now. If you're shaking your head, I'm like, hmm, then I'm not sure why you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Maybe some of you also write books for your own artistic purposes. It's actually okay to do both of those things. You can have a brand that is purely artistic and you can have a brand that is more commercial. But genre fiction is a commercial enterprise. And I think we've already talked about that a little bit in the podcast, right? Yeah, okay. Um, But we write books to find readers. A series will help us find readers because one book leads into the next. If we can hook a reader, they'll carry on and gobble up the rest of a connected series. This connection is what you can leverage in marketing that is accessible to readers. Because, or to authors, because not all marketing is accessible, right? Like um, publishers do something called co-op buying with the retailers where they spend a lot of money to get their whole catalog or, or highlighted parts of their catalog kind of front listed. Um, we see that in physical bookstores. We also see it in in um, the digital landscape too. Like Amazon does this thing called um, Amazon's top romance picks for the month and it's always books by traditional publishers it's also those are paid spots right that's called co-op um we don't have access to that so it's important not to get distracted and be like oh i'm you know i'm never picked for something like that that's not on the table that marketing avenue is not available to you what you do have one huge advantage you have over um a traditionally published Um, book is that you get to choose your price points, right? So you can leverage um, the first book in a series, set it free or 99 cents, turn it into a funnel that goes from a loss leader first book to the rest of your titles. So if you want to write a marketable genre fiction series, this means that book one eventually will be marked down to free or 99 cents, either permanently or off and on for temporary promotion. And you know what? This bit, um, this little secret here, this is not just for indie authors. If you are writing for a publisher, when this discount happens is out of your control. Right now, you might think that it's never going to happen, but it will at some point. Even if your publisher currently does not discount books, they will eventually. It's the new world order. And actually, it's not even that new. Harlequin has always given away books. You used to be able to send in a card and get four books for free before you had this monthly subscription thing. It's a, it's one of the oldest marketing tricks in the book and it's never going away. So we've all had those free gym memberships, 30 days for free. Yep, exactly. Or uh, Columbia movie. Oh, the Columbia house, 12 CDs for a penny. Yep. Um, or even something like at Costco, you know, the free samples right in front of the mm-hmm. thing. Yep. That's called zero barrier to entry. 
And it's so powerful that really it's actually the only tool you truly need, right? We talked a lot about that last episode. Um, I love giving books away for free. At the moment I have, I don't know, 10 books in my catalog of 50 books available for free, eight maybe, quite a few. I basically, once a series is long enough to set the first book free, I do. Um, How long can a book stay free? Well, it really, that is, that is such a difficult question to answer because it's very dependent on your subgenre, the market at the moment, um, your series, like how the stronger your first book is, the, the longer it can stay free. If you have a week first in series, um, that's a lesson that you need to learn from and you need to write a new series with a stronger first in series book. Um, I see some authors rocking a first in series for five years free and they can pimp it in a whole bunch of different ways and they keep finding new readers. Other other books peter off after a couple months um, and that is a like that part of your catalog maybe isn't as robust as another part of your catalog or if it's your only part of your catalog then that that points you to like do it better next time. That's a lesson that I've had to learn myself many times. It's hard to learn <laughs> but if you go into publishing your next project, your next series, with the thought, at some point, I'm going to give this book away, that that means that there will be people who are not your core readership picking it up and trying. If you remove all these barriers to entry, people who might like it but might not are going to pick it up. And if you start writing with that knowledge in your mind, you will write a different book than if you think, I'm writing this niche thing over here that only my core fans are going to like, you're going to write that book differently. Write the book that it, that you know is going to be at least looked at by a very wide commercial audience and you're going to write it differently. So what should you, what else should you plan for with book one in this new series? Ideally, it's going to be a short novel, right? It's um, about 50,000 words would be kind of your target goal. 60,000 is fine, 70,000. Um, I rarely take this advice for myself now. My my first book in my Frisky Beaver series um, was 90 uh, something thousand words and now it's free that's a lot of words to give away for free prime minister prime minister is free prime minister is free yes perma free well i actually don't know whether or not it'll stay perma free but it's free now it's been free for a while it's been free for the last year or so but it's been out for uh two years so i made it free after a year i made we made it free when book three came out um, which is generally how I do things. Sometimes I wait until book four comes out, but because I write so many different series, it can take a couple years for book uh, four to come out. So um, yes, I made it free. Um, but why do I say 50,000 words? Because that's BookBub's stated minimum length. And as we talked about in a previous episode, BookBub is just as powerful as any of the retailers. And so BookBub is where you can push a first in series free. And so their minimum is 50,000 words or 150 pages. And for those of us who have formatted a book, we know those numbers actually aren't the same thing, but that's kind of where you want to aim for. All right. Um, so 50,000 words, it's not a hard and fast rule. 60,000 is good. Um, but I want you to craft a series that you plan to book Bob and book Bob is so powerful. That's right. It's now a verb. Um, 
other marketing efforts that I want you to have in the back of your mind as you're thinking about the first book in the next series. Cross promotion, which is box sets, um, maybe sharing you know, the release to other indie authors, Facebook pages, that sort of thing. Your newsletter, you have one, right? We've already talked about that enough that you definitely now have set up a newsletter. Um, what books have done well from your catalog in the past with other indie authors, with your newsletter? What books are most like the books of those authors that you want to cross promote? That's the book that you want to write. Um, so I want you to have this mantra in your head as you start the next project. I will write a marketable series in my favorite area of romance or whatever genre fiction you are currently writing. So this goes back to at the very start of the workshop, I said, there's a bunch of questions that I want you to have, um, right? I wanted you to, to talk about to yourself out loud and, and maybe to a colleague or talk about what you love, what you genuinely get enthusiastic about, because enthusiasm is the real secret to success. Um, five years down the road, right? This was another question. Five years down the road, what are you writing? What have you created? What are you known for? So right now, not necessarily the next project, because I know the next project is going to point in that direction, but right now, what are you working on? Is it pointing in that direction? I'm going to give you permission right now to stop working on whatever project you're working on if it doesn't point in where you in the direction of where you want to go. I have had to ask other people if it's okay for me to do the same thing. We often feel a need to please people, to please the readers that we have um, found along the way, to to please ourselves with our sense of needing to finish what we started. But those, what we've started may not be in our best business interests, right? Sometimes we need to hit the pause button and we need to say, nope, I'm starting something new tomorrow. I'm starting a new plan that is more in my best interest. And that is what is going to get my attention right now. So if you are currently in that position of looking at what you're currently doing and realizing this does not meet my goals, you have permission to stop doing that. Your next project, this new one that you are now have the kernel of um, itching at you, if you were a publisher and an author submitted that pitch to you, would you acquire it? We often write things that we would not buy from another author if we were an acquiring acquisitions editor or an acquiring publisher. So, Let's look at your catalog again, right? Probably now it's covered in scribbles. Do you have a clearer idea of what your brand is or what you want it to be? Have you decided to set some titles aside? Have you decided to maybe divide your backlist into two brands if you're clearly writing two or more separate things? What is the next project you're going to write on? What is the next project you're going to publish? Because those two questions may not be, the, may not have the same answer. Is it one book or do you see it as part of a series? Um, I had lunch or I had dinner with a writer friend, a couple of writer friends of mine. One of them is Susanna Medeiros who writes historical romance. And she brought up the question that has been on her mind a lot lately, which is at the end of her life, what is one project she will regret not having written? 
which I think is such a good question. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful way to disassociate what you think you should write and narrow in on what needs to be written to satisfy your soul, right? What What you need to do to satisfy your soul. Passion like we talked about enthusiasm, passion for a project can drive you forward in so many ways. Now, this isn't actually true for everybody. This is true for me. um, And it will hopefully resonate with some people. Everybody is motivated differently. And um, you need to, if you're listening now and what I'm saying doesn't resonate with you, don't think that I think that you're wrong or anything like that. Um, you need to take what is useful for you from this podcast and let go of the stuff that isn't useful. But I hope that if you're feeling stuck and some of what I'm saying is is jostling you to find a more productive path, that, um, that you keep searching until you figure out what it is that propels you forward into a more successful path. I'm taking a really great course right now with Becca Sims um, through the Margie Lawson Academy called Write Better Faster. And the number one lesson that I've taken away from it so far is that we are all very different. And so there is no such thing as writing advice that fits everybody. So I definitely don't want anyone to think that I'm saying this is how it is and here's the magic ticket. It's not like that. But I hope that a lot of what I'm saying is universal enough that you can figure out how to make it apply to your situation. So, Neo, you might be looking at your catalog and thinking that you want to shift things around. Zoe gave me permission to stop writing this and I have this new idea um, that fits perfectly in between these two series over here. You may have crossed some things out and scribbled in others. That is a good thing. Um, revision, plan revision is how we get to some really good stuff. At the top of the podcast series, I talked about West Wing and I gave some examples from the West Wing of um, lessons I've learned. Aaron Sorkin, the guy who created the West Wing, has a really awesome masterclass on writing. And he talks about um, in his writer's room, he never goes with the first idea. He likes to have everybody toss out ideas, good ideas. Then he gets people to toss out bad ideas until he has a whiteboard full of ideas. And after you go through all the good ideas and all the bad ideas that you can think of, the right idea will become really clear. But it's only once you've challenged yourself to think of something ridiculous, think of something over the top, think of something deliberately awful Mm -hmm. that then you start to see where, and you know what? Sometimes it's your first idea, but it's not your first idea exactly as you envisioned it. It's your first idea tweaked a little to avoid the bad idea. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So um, so right now, hopefully, you've come up with a whole bunch of ideas, some of which you're going to reject, um, but you have honed in on what is truly a good idea for yourself. But before you get too committed to an idea, I have one more task for you to complete. I'm going to say something that might make you squint at me. In genre fiction... There is no value in being unique. No room for special snowflakes. Right now my sister is looking at me (laughs) like major side eye from the other side of the room. But being totally derivative won't build a brand either. We've all seen that and 
particularly right now, this makes this podcast slightly topical, but right now um, the romance world is consumed by something called Cockygate, where an author who wrote pretty derivative at least the titles were pretty derivative. I haven't read the book, so I can't speak to the content inside, but the titles were super derivative. And she trademarked the word cocky, thinking that she was a special snowflake for having used the word cocky consistently in her titles. Um, and y- you want to find a sweet spot there where you are inside the genre, clearly inside the genre, but not so derivative that people forget who you are right? Not so derivative that your books can easily be exchanged for another book that has exactly the same title structure or something like that. Your brand has to make a promise. Your brand has to stand out on its own, right? You can't force anyone to see value where there isn't value. Um, But you also want your genre fiction title to fit clearly inside the areas where readers are looking for books and it's in a split second. So if you are if you write something that's too unique, then your marketing job is so much harder because you aren't letting and we talked about this already. The cover, the title, the blurb, you want all of that to do some heavy lifting so in a split second a reader can identify um, what you're doing. Um, the thing is, as writers, we are too eager to reinvent the wheel. Why? Because we are terrible readers. Don't look at me like that. I can see, I can feel everybody pulsing their angry looks at me through the podcast. I know you love reading, but chances are you also love criticizing books. You and bloggers alike, you know um, just exactly what's wrong with every book that you've ever read. You know who doesn't really like to pull books apart from the seams? The average reader. You, my friend, are not an average reader. This puts you at a disadvantage when it comes to crafting a marketable series because the average reader doesn't want something totally new and different. They want something almost exactly the same as what they just read, but also a little bit new and different. And that's a fun challenge for you. In 2015, I adopted the motto, don't be different, be better. It really made a big difference in what I wrote, how I packaged my books and the strength of my overall business. And the best part was I was really thrilled with the books I wrote that year. I was thrilled. I focused on writing more like authors that I loved, more like authors that sold well. Um, and I put my all of my effort not into being different, not into carving a, a unique space out on the edges of the market, but doing my best effort to write something right in the middle of that market. Focusing on writing more like other authors didn't feel derivative and it didn't feel too commercial. So before you write another word, I want you to place your new series between at least two other series, preferably surround it by six or eight series, popular ones, but also ones that are legitimately similar to yours. And we talked about this early at the top of the podcast. You really need to hone in tight. You want small town, third person, past tense, military heroes, for example. That would be if I was looking to compare Pine Harbor to another series. Or if I was comparing Ainsley series, I want over the top um, alpha heroes, you know, powerful, powerful world building, um, wealthy, um, something like that, you know, like many different adjectives. If you 
can't, no, I'm not going to say if you can't find. If you don't know of other series that are similar to yours, you have a research problem because there definitely are series exactly like yours. You actually, no, but none of us are doing anything unique or for the first time. Sorry, Felina. But there are lots of series already out there that are just like yours. If you can't find them, it's because you haven't looked hard enough, right? So there are, there are ways to put out the call to help you find that, to ask people on Twitter or on Facebook. Describe your series generally and then ask people to recommend books that they have read just like that. Go on Goodreads. Um, if you Google, uh, you know, book series and then a couple of adjectives, Goodreads will come up in the first few results, a Goodreads list that has books just like that. Read some of them. I know that some people don't like to read um, within the genre that they write. Um, you maybe don't want to read for pleasure or you maybe don't want to read while you are writing a book. But when it comes to understanding the market, that is that is the only way to fully properly understand what readers are enjoying. We also talked about earlier in the podcast, dig into the reviews on those books, right? Because that will give you a lot of the words that readers use to describe those books. And then you can retarget kind of what you're writing um, in that direction. Okay, so I want you all to adopt the same motto for the duration of while you're working on your next series. Don't be different, be better. So the first thing you need to do when planning a series, right after promising yourself that it will be marketable, good to have a goal, is figure out what that target audience is. So this means going to those comparison um, comparison series, looking at their readership. If you have been doing this for a while, are any of your existing readers reading those books? If not, are you sure that you have the comparison point right? dig into, start with one of your readers. Look at the last 20 books that they've read. You can see all that information on a review site if they're an active reviewer. Ask yourself, do the books that I write fit in here? Why do I have that reader if not because my books fit in there? There's probably a lot of uh, really good data that you can mine there. Um, So find comparable books that you believe are similar to your book. Make an array of the covers so you have a side to side comparison of the cover. Do the same with the blurbs. Do a side to side comparison of the blurbs, of the back cover copy, which isn't always the same, the editorial reviews, how you how those books maximize their retailer landscape. Do they have a lot of editorial reviews? Do they have a, a pulled excerpt that they include on that on the book page somehow? The first novel in a genre fiction series is an opportunity to find new readers and reinvigorate your base. It's what they want to read. So note that I'm talking about a novel, not the first part of a serial. I'm also not talking about a new standalone book, although if that's what you write and if your genre supports those, like maybe science fiction or YA or horror, um, I need to caveat my opinions with the admission that I don't read those genres. So I'm not sure exactly what, how the word series or um, shared world or any of that applies to those. But um, if you are listening to this podcast and you're on, and then you also go on Twitter, hit me up and tell me where this applies to your genre. Okay, so enough of that kind of preamble stuff. What exactly I'm looking for in a first in series book. 
Before I was a professional writer, I was a reader, lifelong. I adore cozy mysteries, romance of almost all genres, sci-fi, thrillers, and post-apocalyptic stuff as long as it doesn't involve zombies. We all have our limits. And when I think back to the series that I glom, I still remember, and which I still remember, I see a lot of the same elements that I see working in best-selling books today. Even be able even being able to recognize that, I couldn't put all of these elements into my first two first in series books. And I'm not sure why I couldn't, to be honest. One of my critique partners told me that my first chapter of my very first book wasn't hitting some of the marks that it should. And I could see that, but I couldn't see how to fix it. An interesting little side note is three years after I published it, I finally figured out what the first chapter should be. And I went back and I added it because that's the freedom that we have as indie authors. Um, this is something that I see over and over again, other authors struggling with. And now that I've had the benefit of five years of writing, um, I can be slightly more objective about my 2012 self. When I sat down to write my first books, I wrote my first, I wrote my favorite parts of what I had been reading, sizzling chemistry and smart dialogue tenderness. Man, I love to read about tenderness between couples and between family members too. But tenderness does not a compelling story make. It's a moment. A good story is high stakes, about a journey, larger than life, has a strong but flawed protagonist or two, has the main character learn something the hard way, has turning points, raises the stakes, those high stakes even higher toward the end. It has a black moment. It has a satisfying denouement made even more so by the strength of that black moment. This is seriously a do what I say, not what I do thing, because I still struggle with those black moments. Um, in Pine Harbor, which is one of my more popular series, I only have a black moment in some of the books, which is something which my editor and I talk about a lot. Sometimes I can write one and sometimes I can't. That series is the series of my heart where I want to, to I want my characters to be adults and talk about things before they get out of hand and before things are life and death. Um, that's very mature of them, but sometimes it makes for a less compelling read. And so if you are nodding your head and being like, yep, me too, know that um, I understand and I can um, commiserate with you and we should both try harder next time. Okay, so I bet there's something on that list or multiple somethings on that list that you shy away from. Maybe you don't like the larger than life romance hero, tall, dark and handsome with broad shoulders and a six pack who can also cook and is good with children, but he's brooding and has secrets and won't share them. I don't know why, but that guy sounds amazing, right? Like you want his story, but we don't always want to write his story. We want to write something different, but readers want that story over and over and over again. But even if you don't want to write that story, I want you to find a version of him that you do like, because if you're writing romance, that's who your first hero should be, some version of him. If he's a rocker, he can be lean. If he's a cowboy, maybe he doesn't need to cook. If you really don't want him to have dark hair, he can have light brown hair, I suppose, if you really must. Um, or maybe it's the journey that you struggle with, finding the right starting point. Don't be afraid to chop off the first three chapters of your book or add three more chapters at the end. 
I want you to get that first book right. And then I want you to make it free. To remind you again, at some point down the road, I am going to strip all barriers to entry and give this thing away to everyone, which means people who don't love this genre are going to give it a try. How many one stars on a book do you want to be because you didn't have an exciting enough journey or you didn't have a black moment or they did nothing but talk the whole time and sure they were adults and mature about it but I wanted this book to be more exciting. Those reviews are going to happen if you let yourself just write whatever you want rather than writing what you know deep down you should write to make it a more interesting commercial success. Um, A really good example of this kind of uh, universal first hero in a romance series is Jack Sheridan in um, Robin Carr's Virgin River series. Virgin River is was Robin Carr's second or third attempt to write a series set in Humboldt County, which is in Northern California. She'd already done it once with Grace Valley, which was a trilogy that she wrote for Harlequin years ago. And I quite like the Grace Valley books. But when I read the first Virgin River book, I went, oh, yes. Okay, I want to read. I think at that point there were 16 books in the series. And I was like, I just want to read the entire series. Book two, so Jack Sheridan, book one, Jack Sheridan is, um, he's a former Marine. He's a good guy, super responsible, but he has secrets. Um, and he owns a bar in town. He's kind of like, um, he's, he's the good guy that everybody can depend on. Book number two is about Preacher, the chef, who also is a former Marine. He is super quiet, super reserved. He depends on Jack. I wonder, and I I don't know Robin Carr other than as a fangirl, when I met her at RWA, Romance Writers of America, I burst into tears because I was so excited to meet her. Um, So I don't know her at all. I don't, and I haven't heard her talk about this, but I have a, I have a feeling that Robin Carr really wanted to write Preacher's book. Preacher is a guy who has always struggled with an emotional connection with women. He's really big. Um, I can't remember exactly how he's described in the book, but he's, you know, like probably like 6'4", 6'5", something like that, 300 pounds easily, Um, a big, overwhelming kind of figure. And he's never had positive intimacy with a woman he's not a virgin but like pretty close like he's only had sex two or three times in his life and it never went well and he thought that he scared people and then he meets this woman who is genuinely scared for her life she's on the run from an abusive ex and he takes her and her daughter in and he is gentle and kind with them and they fall in love and then it is super awkward when they finally get to the point of being intimate and he says that he's not good at it which of course is not true when you're in love with someone. It is the most beautiful story. It would be a terrible first in series book because Preacher is not your archetypal hero. He is a super flawed, super private person and and it's a very slow burn romance. Um, but But you put a book two in the series after Jack Sheridan's book and everybody who loved Jack, they're already, they're all in. They're willing to just give you all of your pennies for that story and they're going to trust that you're going to do it right because you've already promised them in the first book that you understand what romance is. So anybody who's not sure about why you should put the kind of the perfect book boyfriend as your hero in book one, 
go read the first two books in the Virgin River series and then come and we can talk about it because I think that Jack Sheridan and then Preacher are um, the perfect example of write the book that you want that flawed character as number two and the perfect book boyfriend as book number one. And then if you make that perfect book boyfriend as your free zero barrier to entry first in series, you're going you're gonna to hook them so hard they're going to be committed to you for life. It's going to be amazing. So um, what, else, what else do we need to know about your first in series? Um, it should be long enough to be a satisfying read. So when I say like make it a short novel, that only applies if in your genre, a satisfying read can be achieved in 50 or 60,000 words. Um, but it should also leave lots of hooks and questions about the world and cast, the, about the world and cast, so that the reader is compelled to pick up the next book. Um, all that world building and casting that you love to do, that huge thing, you're going to cut some of that way back. And you're going to put a lot of that into book two and book three. You just want to create questions in the reader's mind. How does all of this work? Who are all these people? Do not answer all of that in book one. Don't wrap it all up super neatly. The, the, the core story, the happy ever after ending for the first couple, you wrap that up, but everything else you want to kind of have a more of a series um, arc on sharing some of that. Okay, so um, where are we in time? 33. Oh, 33. Okay. Um, hmm. You know what? Actually, I think we can wrap this up in four in four episodes. I had, I had gone back and forth on the podcast about whether or not this would be four or five episodes. And I think that I can take just two or three more minutes and, and I can wrap it up here. If you have enjoyed this, these breakout sessions, um, please tell us, hit us up on Twitter or um, on Facebook and tell us what other kinds of mini series within the sister cast podcast you would like to hear from us um we we would love to do a deep dive into whatever topics interest you okay so in conclusion it can be really humbling to look at your catalog and realize that you have a lot of work to do to get it to where we want to be five years down the road but it's also incredibly rewarding to set out to achieve something amazing, something that very few people are also setting out to do, and get it done. Writing is often compared to a marathon. Few people run a marathon. Few people finish a novel. But even fewer people train hard enough to compete professionally, to qualify for Boston, to earn money on the pro circuit. We are all professionals. If you have stuck through four of these podcast episodes thinking about what is genre fiction to you, you are a professional author. Finishing a novel is an incredible achievement, but pros take that to the next level. We do not just finish novels, right? We finish great novels. We finish multiple novels. We stick the landing and put our novels perfectly in the middle of our genre like a chef plating an exquisite meal. And yes, I mix those metaphors perfectly because I'm an author and I could do that. Here, reader, this is exactly what you wanted today. Voila. That is what we do. We don't just finish a project. We don't write a first draft and chuck it out there into the world. We do better than that. You are capable of better than that. And how to get there is not as mysterious as some people like to pretend. It takes hard work and a lot of analysis. We have started some of that with this podcast. You might go back to the beginning and listen again to that back 
um, the backlist catalog assessment. You might go back and listen to the episode on marketing. You might listen to this one again and think over and over again, what do I want my next series to be? What do I want that first book in my next series to look like? You know how to look at your own books more objectively now. You know what to look for in your initial idea, in your synopsis, before you start writing. You know what to put into your next series to make it a more commercial success. You know what to do as soon as this podcast episode ends, you know what to start writing, don't you? Yes, you do. And you're going to do just that because you are a rock star and I believe in you. Thank you for listening to the SisterCast and um, we will be back with a regular episode soon.